0: Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Chander LeFave Bowton, Crescent Fresh, Dan Mike Dawson Silva, Emily Kay, Frappy, Ian Collis, John DuLong, John Griswold, Leanne S. Light Relentless, Ross Ward, Sam Solero, Stella, and Teresa. Become our patron today and get access to exclusive audio, commentaries, and more at patreon.com/slash Elwood City Uh, I don't mean to brag or anything, but, uh, but, uh, uh I just, uh, had myself a wonderful 10 hour sleep, so I'm about ready to, I'm about ready to get down to some business
1: here. Oh, you, you are starting 2019, I guess continuing 2019, uh, with your new resolution of getting 10 hours of sleep every night, huh?
0: Well, it's it was a, hey, it was a surprise to me too. I, I <laughs> nor, normally, if I sleep that long, I'm 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 so old that if I sleep for that long, like I have a headache for the rest of the day. But I guess somehow my body needed it with whatever I did yesterday.
1: So this wasn't intentional. This is like a Rip Van Winkle kind of situation.
0: A little cool. bit. I, ke- I, ke- I kept kind of waking up, and then I was like, yeah, could sleep for longer. And then before I knew it, it was from 10 o'clock last night to 8:30 this morning.
1: Well, surely, Will, we could all sleep for longer. We, we need to learn by your example.
0: Yes, I imagine that you don't have that luxury as much anymore, at least with the school semester back in business.
1: No, certainly not. It'll be interesting. It's funny how much, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but some of these episodes uh, that we watch this week very much incorporate uh, my school experience. Uh, oh, really? So excited to talk about that.
0: Okay, well, it has been it, fe- it feels like it has been a while. So welcome back everybody to Elwood City Limits. This is Will Young along with uh, Lucas Mancini.
1: Hello, hello.
0: Well, it's uh, yeah, it's been quite an eventful couple of weeks here after our uh, episode with uh, JV to kick off season six of Arthur. I want to say hello to all of our new uh, patrons. Uh, thank you very much for your patronage, and, uh, hey, make sure that if you're listening to this, if you're a new Elwood City Limits patron, and if you haven't gotten your link yet for the private ECL Discord, then, uh, make sure
1: that you pester us until you do. Yeah, the Discord is a lot of fun, and we're well on our way. Have we surpassed the amount of, uh, patrons we need to go see Detective Pikachu?
0: We are at 14. We need 15.
1: (laughs) Okay, so the next person who subscribes, you're the one who's sending us on our way to go see Detective Pikachu and then record a podcast about it. So
0: That's absolutely right. And that's going to be patrons only. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Detective Pikachu when that comes out. I don't know, I forget which episode of ECL it was that we we talked about the trailer, but Lucas, you're way into it. I am way not into it, but... It is is my
1: most anticipated film of 2019.
0: (laughs) Star Wars who? Avengers what now? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So if you... Uh, want to hear the potentially wildly varying opinions on Detective Pikachu? You got to become a patron over at Patreon.com/slash Elwood City Limits. Uh, also, want to give out to sh- give a shout out to all of our Twitter followers. Uh, I didn't want to do this right away because, of course, you know what happens is that when you hit a Twitter milestone and you kind of pat yourself on the back, then of course you automatically lose that milestone. But I'm comfortable saying right now on Twitter we are at over 200 followers, which is Ooh. pretty cool. And, hey, remember, if, uh, if you think you know somebody who would like our uh, social media, who would like the podcast, well, then tell that friend and uh, direct them over to whichever social media uh, presence they prefer. And now it is time to get to our, uh, our neglected email. We weren't able to get to it last episode due to the recorded nature of it. Uh, but, yeah, we've got a couple of emails here. That's another great way you can get in touch with us over at Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. So, let's go first to Casey Cho, who sends us this one. Uh, and, sh- and they address it, Dear Sirs, which is uh, a new one for me.
1: <laughs> Very Casey, formal.
0: Yes. Casey greatly appreciates our podcast, which is almost certainly the most thorough treatment the great children's cartoon series Arthur has received in any medium. Yeah, it's a good thing we don't have any competition in that regard, or else I don't know... If <laughs> i don't know if uh, we'd be able to uh, be, be able to measure up so now having other people measure up to us is actually a lot takes a lot of the edge off
1: i know little does everybody know that we have wonderful guests like jv on uh only to prevent them from starting their own more informed <laughs> arthur podcast <laughs> uh but by monopolizing the arthur podcast business uh we we can prevent that from happening
0: we are we are the WWE of Arthur podcasts and we are trying to prevent the aew of Arthur podcast uh, of uh, springing up out of nowhere uh here's Casey your discussions are always amusing and interesting covering many aspects of popular culture references that I never noticed as a kid watching the show as well as making fascinating points of characterization and plot. I greatly look forward to you covering The Boy Who Cried Comet in Season 6, which was and remains one of my favorite episodes of the show due to the apocalyptic nature of the plot, which I could relate to since I was afraid of the world or the universe ending when I was in elementary school. If PBS ever wanted to make a dystopian YA series, they could work from that episode. Well, with with all this young adult fiction talking about the end times and the end of the world, I can see being a little nervous about it at a young age.
1: And, yeah, and I, I mean, given how things are going, co- I don't want to get too dark on you, but uh, it, it seems like the end of the world is closer now than ever. Uh, uh, but um, I don't remember. Is that the episode about Haley's Comet?
0: I'm not sure. Um,
1: yeah, I don't remember that one. Exciting.
0: I, vag- I vaguely remember it, but I think I'm also kind of mixing it up with the episode with uh, the Meteor and the Simpsons. So I don't want to—
1: Uh, The way they describe it makes it sound like that Lars von Trier movie, (laughs) so uh, I really don't know what to expect.
0: Uh, Casey wanted to bring up an idea that's been coming to them in the past week or so, which is that Francine was originally intended to be, or is, black. It has never occurred to me till recently when I began to connect certain dots. One, her skin color is rather darker than many of the other characters, similar to Brain, who we know is black, which raises the question of whether skin colors in Arthur correspond to real world skin colors number two her voice act- actress is black and three in the series her uncle is real life jazz musician joshua redmond who is also black of course we know that she and her family are jewish in the series but there are obviously many black jewish people in the real world yeah um there's there's quite a bit of evidence there that could suggest that and i guess i'm i've never really uh thought that deeply into it but uh casey makes a couple of good points here
1: I think one of the reasons that the Arthur characters um, that Mark Brown chose to, you know, personify them as animals, it's it's similar to like when um, Stanley talks about Spider-Man and he talks about how the whole point of why spider Man's so popular is because uh, like any kid can picture themselves in the Spider-Man costume. So there is that kind of separation from our world in the Arthur world by having them be animals. So let's say like a kid really identified with Francine, um, they don't really have to worry too much about um, their skin color. But I also think it's important not to erase the detail of, uh, like you said, um, Francine's characterization includes lots of cultural elements from the African-American community. Uh, brain as well with celebrating Kwanzaa um, and then, of course, uh, Francine being related to real-life jazz musician uh, Joshua Redman. So I think for people who identify with Francine from a cultural perspective, it's important that um, that she is black and that, 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 and that she incorporates that culture. But I also think... Think that um, Arthur does a good job of uh, sort of leaving it up to interpretation by having them be represented as animals.
0: Yeah, and it's and it seems to thank uh, thankfully present a world where, I mean, who who's to say in. In the you know, 15 years of material that you and I might, might not be so familiar with, Lucas, I don't know if discussions of uh, race ever become uh, the subject of an episode, but it seems to be something that uh, it, because of the nature of who these characters are as animals, race doesn't necessarily seem to be a construct in Arthur's world. But uh, like you kind of alluded to, I appreciate that... Um, there is enough evidence to to at least suggest that that could be, and if that's something that really speaks to you, you know, the a certain character uh, identifying with a racial background, then you can, and that's perfectly valid. So uh, I appreciate them encouraging that by giving all of the characters such different cultural backgrounds. Uh, Casey says, Lastly, have you heard of the Japanese mystery anime series? Lucas, you may have. Detective Conan or... <laughs> case closed as it is called in America. The show is oddly paralleled Arthur in that both started airing in 1996, the year the case he was born, starring a bespectacled protagonist and continues to this day after hundreds of episodes. I'm surprised there's been no fan fiction or fan art featuring a crossover of the two settings given how frequently Arthur characters, especially Fern and Buster, enjoy pretending to be detectives. Uh, that one, uh, that particular series, I know what it is, but it's unfortunately uh, missed me to this point. Have you you ever watched it?
1: So, I've never actually watched Case Close. I, I've absorbed a lot of it through cultural osmosis, uh, being an anime fan. Uh, it's super long. It's like over a thousand episodes long at this point. Um, wow. It's about like a detective who, like, I forget why, but he gets turned into a kid. Um, so, he's like a full grown person, and then he gets turned into a kid, and then he's like a boy detective. Um, Pretty much the extent of my knowledge when when it comes to Case Closes, it's one of those animes that are far more popular in um, Japan than they are in the West. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. the opposite of something like Bleach or something where um, some shows are way more popular in the States – Uh, and vice versa. So Detective Conan never really penetrated here the way it did in Japan. Uh, But also the other thing I know is that the first... uh, I watch a lot of anime opening compilations of a bunch of anime openings, uh, and Detective Conan's first theme song rips. It is an awesome garage rock song. Uh, And that's pretty much the extent of my Detective Conan knowledge. But I never... He does kind of look like Arthur. That's a really interesting observation
0: mm-hmm well thank you very much for that Casey who wishes us a Merry Christmas Happy Hanukkah and boisterous Baxter Day um, if you want to know more about the anime that Lucas is currently watching that's another great reason to be a patron that was the subject of our latest filibuster which is what we do on the weeks where we can't do a full episode of the show so uh, check that out again patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits uh, we have one here from pretty cool stairs uh, just listen to our latest podcast the one with JV uh, about Virtual Goose. One thing that's important to note about season six is that Arthur's voice was redubbed when season seven was released in the U.S. Not 100% sure about international broadcasts. As you had mentioned, uh, Justin Bradley only voiced this season. Mark Rendell came on for season seven and also did new voice audio for all season six episodes. I don't think the end credits accurately reflect this change, which makes it a bit more confusing. Personally, I only vaguely remember the original voice with Justin, so I'm much more comfortable listening to Mark Rendell. I've also memorized many lines from the show with his inflections and tone. Yes, um, I noticed this actually when I was younger. Um, I remember watching the season six episodes as they aired and hearing the voices one way, uh, or I should say the Arthur voice one way, and then when the new voice came on, I remember... It's that same voice was put on to the older episodes, which uh, is very strange to me. But uh, yes, you weren't the only one who uh, uh, who who noticed that there. uh, uh, PCS. Uh, Speaking of the credits, as a kid I distinctly remember how awesome it was to have a remixed version. It was only used for the 10 episodes in the season, but with some new voiceovers and the new brightened color palette, it made the season really stand out to me when I was a kid. Unfortunately, a few years ago, they reverted back to the traditional theme music for these episodes. Now we had mentioned something in the last in the last full episode about virtualgoose.com which the game URL used to redirect to the PBS Kids Arthur website. There was a basic pattern recognition game for kids. You were shown four circles with four colors, and you had to find out which one matched the Goose's circle. It was titled Virtual Goose, but it was obviously nothing like the gameplay from the show. The website went for sale last year when the Arthur website was revamped, and they removed a bunch of the old Flash and HTML games. I remember playing a lot of those Flash games. That's too bad that they're still not there. My favorite one was there was one where you were playing as Buster at the, uh, at the ice cream shop, and you had to make everybody's uh, orders of ice cream. Really? And, yeah. I don't remember this
1: at all. Was it like Diner Dash or something? I guess I didn't play any of these. The only uh, Arthur web content I've interacted with is the uh, comic creator.
0: Uh, No, it was it, uh, not so much Diner Dash. It was actually kind of more of a memory game of like, uh, I want this flavor, this flavor, and this flavor. And then there's certain ingredients that you have to remember. But you can also refer back to the list of... Um, what what equals what in order to get their order exactly right so it was fun as at least as at least as a kid and there were a couple of other ones on there too Uh, i just don't remember them as well uh so that one's from pretty cool stairs who is excited for us to talk about the season considers us one of their top favorites well thank you very much i appreciate having people uh fact check us so no don't be afraid to uh, uh give us a little fact checking uh if you ever hear us kind of popping off about something we don't know anything about, Elwood city Limits at gmail.com. Finally, this one came in under the wire from Matthew Fredrickson, uh, who says, I don't know if anyone has brought this up before, but Elwood City, with two L's, is a real-life city in Pennsylvania, which could be a clue that Elwood City and Arthur might be a fictionalized version of the actual Elwood City. Also, in a future episode, Buster's Amish mishap. The class takes a field trip by bus to an Amish farm, and the largest population of Amish Amish supposedly lives in Pennsylvania. So, a little bit something more to uh, to think about as we always consider that question.
1: I know. I, I the clues keep stacking up. I still think it's like very similar to like a Shelbyville or a a, a Springfield situation where it's sort of anywhere USA. But Pittsburgh was. One of the places that we had uh, talked about it possibly being around that area, um, mm-hmm. I'm still think there's more and more evidence for it being a Boston-like. Uh, in this episode, we actually got to see a word from us kids at this episode, and there is a kid wearing a Boston Red Sox uh, jacket in the award from <laughs> us kids, and it just right. from the accents, it seems like all the awards from us kids are like um, definitely like filmed in the New England area. But or, or, I like I like the theory of, of Pennsylvania. I think that that especially like saying it's got the biggest Amish Amish population. I think that adds a lot of uh uh evidence to that theory.
0: It's wherever it is, it's it's it seems to be a working class part of the United States somewhere that Bruce Springsteen mm. would probably play uh yeah. yearly.
1: Definitely Br- Springsteen country. Have you seen the Netflix uh Broadway show? The what? Oh, Bruce Springsteen did a uh he's doing a Broadway show right now. Um, where it's just kind of him with a guitar uh, uh, talking, Um, and Netflix bought the rights for like a gajillion dollars uh, to make the official, basically, broadcast release of it. So you can watch it on Netflix. It's Springsteed on Broadway, and it's very much like, I wrote this song on the the long thunder road uh, every day. Like, it's very, like... Uh, you pretty much know exactly what it is in your mind's eye if you think about like it's Bruce Springsteen with a guitar and he talks a bunch Uh, but it's very good it's two and a half hours of if you're into that sort of thing uh, uh, good stuff
0: you took a train down a river called freedom (laughs) in 35
1: that's not bad you've been practicing that
0: that's uh, it's just a Picnic Face uh, bit that, I've, that I really all like. All right,
1: I remember the Picnic Face bit. Uh,
0: all right, let's get into this episode uh, as we talk about Arthur. Speaking of, well, not completely Springsteen, but a little bit, Arthur plays the blues. I know Springsteen's not really a blues mu- musician, but it's music, so whatever. Uh, we begin this one. Arthur, in the cold open, is uh, fantasizing that he is uh, going to be doing this incredibly... Uh, elaborate and impossible uh, piece of music.
1: It's the one that put uh, Rubenstein in a full body cast.
0: So the, so my first note here is a question. Do you think there's a piece of music that is so... There, do you think there exists a piece of music that is so complicated that no one can actually play it?
1: Oh, because... Dev- So I, I, I thought you were going to ask me, is there a piece of music so complicated that... That it would put someone in a full body cast to play, and I don't necessarily (laughs) think that is true, but I definitely think that there's um, absolutely music that is uh, sort of developed in the studio, and and the individual elements are recorded separately and via technology, and so it would be impossible to play live. Right. um, um, And, like... This kind of reminds me of this whole bit with he, he's using his feet and he's using a mallet. Uh, it kind of reminds me of I was be, feeling nostalgic the other day and I was listening to all the math rock I used to <laughs> listen to in uh, in high school, like uh, Tripper and stuff like that. Um, or sorry, Hella, the band Hella, the songs Tripper, I think. Um, but I uh, I was listening to all this old math rock that I used to listen to in high school, where it's just kind of like weird time signatures for the sake of weird time signatures and sort of like. Uh, uh overly complicated uh music for the sake of being complicated and that's kind of what this reminded me of.
0: I remember my friend who is uh you know who can play guitar like at least at least when I would talk about him in high school of like listening to some math rock and thinking how cool it was he, he would get mad or just like that's just you're just playing it like that for no reason. It's just like, oh, look how good I could play <laughs> <it was>
1: like, <laughs> I mean <laughs> these days I tend to agree like it's there's is something kind of like for lack of a better term masturbatory about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I liked it a lot when I was in high school, so it makes me nostalgic.
0: Oh sure, it sounds cool. Um yeah, but you're right. Like Arthur's doing all these complicated moves like he has to play the piano with a mallet, he's like doing some of the strings with his toes and like playing it upside down. And like you want to t- you want to talk about like flourish for the sake of flourish. Like this seems to be it. So that's Arthur's kind of big fantasy, but it turns out he's actually doing piano lessons. Uh, I apologize; I missed the name of his his su- his kind of sweet piano teacher here, Mrs. Cardigan. Mrs. Cardigan. Uh, so he is he's still very much just an eight year old learning to play piano. He's good, but he's you know still needs some time. Uh, and he even he even says here we get a bit of character motivation for Arthur. Uh, he says. Uh, Mrs. Cardigan says that she can no longer teach him and he says well how am I going to get to Carnegie Hall without you so that seems to be Arthur's one of Arthur's main dreams is to become a professional piano player I also feel like this episode probably you you would get a lot more out of this if you play an instrument because it's a lot about like uh, coaching and there's I mean the whole episode is based around Arthur not wanting to practice and I've I'm not musically talented so this I feel like there's a whole level to this that I missed because uh, uh, I don't understand you know the the practice that goes into mastering an instrument or like the desire to not want to practice. And all also, that
1: do kids still know about Carnegie Hall? I feel like the only reason I knew about Carnegie Hall, again, I'm, I, I'm also not a young musician, but I think the only reason I knew about Carnegie Hall as a kid was stuff like this and, and pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think Andy Kaufman once performed at Carnegie Hall or something like that. Uh, so I, I, I knew about that. Um, also all this talk of Carnegie Hall, uh, reminded me of, I recently rewatched *Inglorious Bastards. Oh, great movie. Um, a- and there's a great line in that movie when he's sort of carving into the Nazis head and he's like, you know how you get to Carnegie Hall, don't you? Practice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's and that is that is, again, a big part of this episode. So uh, Miss Miss Cardigan is not is going to be retiring and she's going to be recommending Arthur to uh, who we find out to be Dr. Frederick Fugue, who which is kind of the end of the cold open. She she offers Arthur cookies, which is a great move here. And then Arthur tells this to Binky, who is also, I mean, all the Arthur characters play an instrument, but I feel like Binky and Arthur are the ones that are most, uh, and Francine as well, are the most tied to their musical instruments. And so he tells Binky, and Binky's like astonished, like, you're getting to play with Dr. Frederick Fugue? Uh, So he's kind of a, a figure of myth, but also someone to be feared as uh binky tells a story about a kid who's like uh who who is permanently scarred because of all of the how hard frederick fugue is as a teacher
1: um yeah he says uh poor mikey still can't hold an ice cream cone
0: (laughs) it's just like you you'll either be the best player who ever lived or you'll be drinking through a straw
1: for the rest of your life (laughs) Which is like, I I don't even know what would happen to you to cause that from uh, piano lessons. He also uh, instills Arthur a fear of knitting needles. Uh, And Arthur asks him, well, what does he do with the knitting needles? And uh, uh, Binky doesn't really explain. Um, Also, I wanted to say point out when uh, uh, Mrs. Cardigan is telling Arthur uh, that she's retiring, typical Arthur response, his first question is, well, what's going to happen to me? Yeah.
0: Ah, uh, he's eight years old. He can get away. He can get away with that. Um, as
1: we've established before, all children are sociopaths, so it makes sense.
0: Absolutely. So Arthur goes to meet Doctor Fugue at his house, which kind of gives off the vibe of a haunted house. There's even like an old woman's uh, shadow in the upper room. There. Oh my goodness! So I didn't even notice that. I, I'm just noticing it now as I have the episode on. So Doctor Fugue, this he is, um, you know, kind of the big addition this episode and you know without wanting to assume anything lucas i'm i i (laughs) hope that dr fugue takes the uh supporting character of the episode
1: now will you know you gotta understand it is not the supporting character it is the throwaway character of the week i feel like dr fugue uh is too much of an integral part of the story to receive that honor. There's actually a different character who has received the throwaway character of the week. But okay. I will take this opportunity to say I love Dr. Fugue's character design. Um, his uh, uh, his hair reminds me of that racist British politician who caused Brexit. I don't know if you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. That uh, Boris guy? Oh,
0: oh, Bo- uh, oh, God. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, his, I, I'm just struggling at the name.
1: His hair reminds me of that guy. I love his white scarf and his, like, suit. I love... His, like, narrow eyes and uh, uh, his, like, slouch and his vocal delivery. Everything about the characterization of Dr. Fugue, the fact that his name is Dr. Fugue in itself, uh, I'm a big fan of this character. And I know we probably won't ever see him again, but I hope we do because uh, I-, I really like him. Not enough to give him the throwaway character of the week. That is a different character's otter, uh, but he's he's very cool.
0: The, uh, his mysterious stat his mysterious status as to whether or not we'll see him again like really uh, makes me worry because it's such a tremendous character design. Uh, yeah, you mentioned his hair reminds me. I think it's the what we're meant to what it reminds me of is kind of uh, the composers of old who would have like those wild hairstyles that were unkempt because they didn't focus so much on their personal appearance but they uh, were more focused on playing the piano or playing their instrument uh but uh, i get a real alan rickman vibe off of dr fugue i absolutely love his voice
1: oh and, and it's, so- it, it, it's not just the accent he's got a very specific delivery like the way he um like the pauses in his sentences or the way he delivers certain words it's it's ultra specific and i love it
0: yes just arthur read i presume <laughs> or just, or Or one of my favorites is when, like, Arthur's dad drives into the lesson and, uh, like, he honks his horn to say goodbye, just like, "Mm, hmm, E-flat, you should get that tuned. (laughs) Like, it's, it's, like I say, kind of Alan Rickman because, like, I'm reading the Harry Potter books right now and it's just, like, impossible to not think of him when thinking of Snape and just, like, this, like, his physicality, he's got the very long nose because he's, I think he's, like, a poodle or something, Uh, but also that accent is very, very dry, very regal. And uh, very much prone to a drier delivery, which you could hear a lot of Alan Rickman.
1: You could hear almost hear him say, "Arthur, I have a machine gun." (laughs) (laughs) Ladies
0: and gentlemen,
1: (laughs) and then Arthur, Arthur's like, "That's a great accent, Hugh. (laughs) Hugh, you should be on TV with that accent,
0: (laughs) Fugie." Bubba.
1: Uh, bu- 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 uh, uh what does he call him oh geez it's like fugie uh it's not buzzer what is he, ca- Bubby. Bubby? he- Bubby. <laughs> <laughs> well that guy that guy would fit in more in the next episode we're gonna talk about
0: true come out to the piano lesson we'll play some Bach have a few laughs, <laughs> I had to think for a while. I had to think for a second. I wasn't aware you were doing Bruce Willis until I got the line. That's pretty good. Uh, So Arthur is very intimidated by Dr. Few. We even see the knitting needles here for a second, but he doesn't really use them. Uh, And he gives Arthur like some some really hard uh, Bach concerto to practice. And Arthur just kind of sprints out of the house because he sees the knitting needles. So a lot of this episode, as I've said before, is that Arthur... Needs to practice, but he doesn't. And there is a whole montage here of Arthur just blowing off doing practice. And man, I felt this.
1: Uh, we talk a lot about how uh, I, we talked about this really early on in the in the the podcast about how I love it when Arthur gets really seasonal um, and shows the illusion of the passage of time. And I just like our lives, which is incredibly seasonal, it allows us to relate to it more. But obviously this episode takes place during the fall because during this... Uh Um, This montage, there's a lot of fall activities on display. Arthur's watching football, playing in leaves, um, and everybody's got fall outfits, which I really appreciate. Uh, Everybody's fall outfits, again, the 90s are back. They all look like stuff you'd have to spend 80 bucks on at Urban Outfitters these days. Arthur's got a sick turtleneck. Uh, Francine's got a really cool striped sweater. Uh, I really appreciated everybody's cozy clothes.
0: Yeah, some great fall looks here from Arthur and the gang. Uh, beyond you know, we see Arthur's normal kind of dark gray jacket, and but we also see him in like t- a t shirt combo that we're not used to. Yeah, you're right. It does it does look very comfy and reminds me of the best parts of fall. But the t shirt is
1: of uh, Elwood City's football team. It seems like the Pelicans or something. It's kind of hard to make out. It's some sort of bird. Uh, they actually look like the 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 soccer team, the Hotspurs logo. Uh, I can't really tell what it is, but uh, yeah.
0: Uh Yeah, and Arthur is doing all kinds of different activities as his parents kind of keep asking him, like, hey, when are you going to practice the piano? He's like, oh, right after this, like right after I play outside or right after I watch this football game, all this kind of stuff. As, as is Arthur's character, he is terrible at keeping deadlines and doing things that he's supposed to. Like, he is adept at putting things off. And we even saw that in the previous episode with Virtual Goose, where it's like he kept kind of putting off playing with DW and we've seen that time and time again. So I appreciate that uh, consistency to Arthur's character. Like I totally believe that he would just blow off this entire week of practice until he's basically forced to by his parents. Uh, And then he kind of starts to uh, and ends up eating too many cookies and passing out, (laughs) which is a big mood and a half. And But it also finds himself distracted. Like, D.W. is playing with, like, a very noisy toy, her funny farm,
1: and... Oh, my God, the funny farm, it's so... It's one of those things where it's like it was only ever invented to be as annoying as possible. But there's yeah. a great... It, it's like a, a whack-a-mole, but she's, like, pushing the animals back into the farm. And yeah. there's a great line from D.W. where she just makes me laugh. She goes, back in the barn, little piggy!
0: <laughs> yeah, she's really into it. And so Arthur kind of keeps, like, puts her in a different room... Or, like, asked her to turn the sound down, and then in order and then in order to keep her quiet, he gives her some of her Halloween candy, again, another fall activity, but DW's eating it too loud, and d- just, like, Arthur allowing himself to be distracted to the nth degree, and then, like I said, eats too many cookies, passes out, and then wakes up, and he's like, okay, that's a good practice, and I'm like, yeah, I... Have definitely I'm definitely guilty of that before Arthur so Arthur ends up going to his next lesson with Dr. Fugue having not practiced we actually get a little bit of character building here for Dr. Fugue he seems to be like a piano savant in fact on the level of someone like Liberace which he has a a picture of him and Liberace playing dueling pianos Uh, he said they're like old college buddies or something.
1: As well as uh, Yo-Yo Ma, he's from yeah. the the extended Arthur cinematic celebrity universe. Uh, fan favorite Yomo, Yo-Yo Ma makes a cameo, um, but also yeah, the picture of <laughs> I have it freeze-framed right now on the picture of Liberace's face and it's like hilarious like yeah. I don't know why they drew Liberace like this he's almost making like a troll face or something like <laughs> um like a, like a real I invited him yeah yeah, yeah yeah he looks I don't know it's it makes me happy I don't know why but just looking at him he makes me happy yeah um, and, and also contrast that with Dr. Fugue's like glare like he does not seem pleased about this situation at all
0: Yeah, it's, like, the difference between Dumbledore and Snape right there. Again, apologies for the Harry Potter references. Um, Yeah, so Arthur begins to, like, he keeps trying to start playing the Bach piece, but, like, Dr. Fugue is such a perfectionist, he's just like, do it again, start again, and then Arthur just can't get it going and admits that he didn't practice, which leads to Dr. Fugue firing Arthur as his student, which takes him back a little bit, just like, oh, Well, that's kind of strange. And then he thinks that's going to be awesome. But indeed, as the week goes along, he kind of realizes how much he really wants to play piano and that he wish he hadn't have uh, blown it off. Like there's a montage of him watching TV and all kinds of piano focused programs. There's even like he goes across a a production of Phantom of the Opera, which you (laughs) I love this line because it's it's just the entire story of Phantom of
1: the Opera in one line.
0: Oh, Phantom! You are so hideous, yet you
1: play so
0: beautifully.
1: I really got a kick out of the uh uh the Casablanca parody.
0: Yeah, when
1: he's like, "Play it again." That's such a weird pop culture reference to make it a kids' show, because like. You are mathematically guaranteed no kid is familiar with the source material.
0: Well, th- and there's a, there's a couple of things in this episode that are like that: The Phantom of the Opera, Casablanca, like you said, Liberace. I think that's this true. Is, th- I like
1: I like barely know who Liberace is. Uh,
0: I think that I think this episode was how I figure out that's how you pronounce Liberace. Like if I had seen that as a kid, i be like ah, it's
1: Liberace. That's him. Um, There's a – before the montage, there's a little segment where uh, Arthur's kind of explaining his situation to Buster at the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Buster's like, you were fired by your piano teacher? And what I really, really like about this segment is it's it's a realistic portrayal of – sometimes when you're telling friends about something that happened to you, uh, and this is just human nature, you're going to tell the story to put yourself in the best light. Um, And Arthur really realistically frames the circumstances of his firing um, as like – he neglects to tell Buster that he didn't practice enough or anything like that. Like he kind of puts himself in a better light. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was an interesting detail.
0: Good, good catch there. And you're absolutely, and you're absolutely right about that. Um, I, you know what, I, as we were talking about it, I think, so I think I have a guess for, uh, for something that we talked about and as and what i mean is there's a part after arthur watches the tv where he goes <laughs> he goes to the piano uh, you are go- get
1: i think you're guessing right will <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Ar- Ar- arthur's out clothes shopping with his mom because he just wants to kind of do something else so they're shopping in a place called the Saw Cop, by the way and there's a piano store across the way in the mall so he goes over there uh, there's a really lovely looking piano that he kind of plays a couple notes on and then the piano salesman kind of shoes him away and this guy's voice is incredible like we're talking about Dr. Fugue who has an awesome voice but for this one-off character this is such an excellent performance I
1: believe you have discovered our throwaway character of the week the music <laughs> store employee what does he say? he says okay so, oh yeah you the, do it you do it okay
0: excuse me son that's not a toy and then my the best part is now, I think this would be an instrument worthy of Antoine's caliber. <laughs> and he just, like, sees another kid onto it who's like a piano prodigy
1: or something. Yeah, the fact that not only does he turn uh, Arthur away, stairway denied, does not let him play the piano. <laughs> uh, the, the, the fact that he instead, like, for some reason knows that this kid's allowed to play the piano, uh, Antoine, um, I love this whole bit. This is great. I want to see more from the uh, the guitar world employee or whatever store this is. Yeah. <laughs> oh man,
0: just just the Antoine's caliber, like really put went all in on that. Did that did that particular voice actor? Great stuff. Uh, so Arthur's a little down uh, down in the dumps because he wants to get back to playing piano, and he talks about it with Mrs. Cardigan, who tells him that if he wants to play for Doctor Fugue, then he has to kind of earn his respect back. Uh, you know he fires a lot of people he's a very difficult man but if you can earn his respect then he will teach you again so then we get a montage of arthur really getting down to brass tacks and practicing the bach piece and we see a couple of different ways that he deals with his distractions uh when dw starts playing her funny farm he puts in earplugs uh he ignores prompts from his friends all this kind of stuff he still he he doesn't i like that he doesn't get it perfect but he's, you know, better than he was before, and he's ready to kind of present himself to Dr. Fugue. He goes back to his house. We see a kid, we see, like, a perennial background Arthur kid leaving his house and, like, j- overjoyed that he's been fired. Like, throwing his music sheets on the ground and running away happily.
1: That's right. I, I close for second place uh, for Far Away Character of the Week. The kid's like, I've been fired! And, like, he's just ecstatic.
0: Uh, and then Arthur kind of asks him if he could please try the the Bach thing again, and a great line here from Dr. Fugue. He looks at, like, a pocket watch, and he goes, well, I have a few minutes before Soul Train, which, again, you want to talk about things that kids would not understand. <laughs> uh, it took me forever to find out what Soul Train is. I was watching it's... clips of Soul Train last night. Ooh, <laughs> nice. That's a, That's a good Wednesday night. Uh, So Arthur does play the Bach piece. We get this excellent shot of of Dr. Fugue listening with his with like his expression is fairly neutral. His eyes are closed, but his fingers are up to his temples. So it it kind of communicates that he's both listening intently and like trying to power through all the mistakes that Arthur's making. And and Arthur's just like, I must have made 100 mistakes. And he goes, actually, you made 78 mistakes. (laughs) Just like, it's just so perfect, this character. So well-realized. Uh, so we finally see what the knitting needles are for. He brings them out, uh, and Arthur... Like, every time Arthur sees it, he gets nervous. But then uh, Dr. Fugue presents him with a pair of uh, gloves, which he says all of his students must keep their fingers warm. Which And they're actually, they're fingerless gloves, which we've seen Dr. Fugue wearing as well. So that's a big thing that he believes in, is keeping your... Fingers and hands warm, and then after, and then after that, it's he. He implies that he has accepted Arthur as his student again, and he and he says, "Let's do some scales," <laughs> <laughs> and they start doing the scales, and that's the end of the episode. And yes, uh, Lucas, I was as surprised uh, as I'm sure you were that now it's actually time for a word from us kids.
1: And now a word from us kids.
0: All right, so. Yes, a word from us kids returns. It feels like it's been like dozens of episodes since we've talked about this, but it just so happened that uh, the, the uh, file we were watching came with it. So let's talk about it. It's what it is it's kids learning to play uh, the drums and I uh, kind of like uh, the African drums like it's an yes, Af- my- a bit of an African drum circle.
1: My uh, high school had an African drumming class, so... I didn't take it, but I, I, I'm familiar with uh, kids learning sort of this style of drumming. Um, the highlight of this for me is definitely the teacher. He seems like a very colorful guy. Um, uh, I, I couldn't help but laugh when he was like, does anybody know where North Africa is? Mm-hmm. And then the little kid like walks up to this cartoonishly large map of the world that they've set up outdoors... Um, and he like po- he pokes. I, mean, I have not freeze framed right now, and he's like pointing square at the word Africa in the middle of Africa.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's it reminds me a lot. It like it kind of brought me back. This was something that like my music class in elementary and junior high would do like as a special day it's like bring in somebody who knew about African drumming and then we got to practice on the drums and all this kind of stuff so I I remember those happening I don't remember how I felt about them at the time but I it was it was always something I'm that in retrospect I'm very glad that I got to do and in fact I think I, m- I might have done it in high school as well uh yeah these uh these two teachers these African drumming teachers seem like really interesting people it's kind of too bad i'd like to kind of learn more about them we get a lot of like talking heads from the kids about like what it's like to be playing these types of drums and kind of staying on the beats and all this kind of stuff but but yeah there's the part where he's got the big colored map of of the world and points to north africa so they're trying a bunch of different rhythms they're also doing it outside which is a, a fun little bit as well uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it's just, we, we get to hear some, some fun drum music and that's, a, that's about it for me. Do you have anything else to say about it?
1: No, I want, I guess my question is, do they always have this outside or are they just doing that for the cameras? It seems like a weird event to hold outside.
0: Well, it could be, it could be something that this is like, uh, like an school program or something. And as long as the weather allows, then they kind of do it outside. I'm not sure. I, I wish I, Got to know more about it a little bit. All right, and now a word from us, kids. Hi there, Elwood City Limits listener. Just a quick note here from your buddy, your pal, Will Young, that this show is supported by all of you listeners just like you by the following ways. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Instagram at ElwoodCityLimits. Drop us a line on social media. We'd love to hear from you. And give us a like, a heart, whatever it is. Email elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com You can get your email read here on the air Just send it to us and uh, let us know what you think Of the episode, of the show, of anything in particular That we might have talked about or that's on your mind And you can find the podcast by going to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com And you can find it at your local podcast provider Now if the show is not on a service that you use all the time And you'd like to change that Make sure to drop us a line and we will get it on there as soon as As possible, all right. Let's get back to the episode now. Already in progress, and And we're back. Okay, second half of this Arthur episode is called Buster's Sweet Success, and it doesn't start with Buster, it does start with a perennial background character, Ed Crosswire, in his element. Where you like start at Uh -uh. Crosswire Motors.
1: Let, let me tell you something, Will. It's been a while since throwaway character of, of the week has been this contentious. Uh, cause boy, there was some characters neck and neck, including what I can only describe as Arthur's mole man. Yeah. Like, yeah. He does look this like him, doesn't he? He, not only does he look like him, his mentality, like just the way he carries himself is very, very similar. Um, and, uh, uh when, like the way he's like, you do, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I want to know more about this guy.
0: Yeah. He's really schlubby and he's, <laughs> he's just like, they had to, they basically had to draw a total rube for crosswire to take for a ride. Cause he sells him like this three wheeled clunker and, uh. And he's just uh, this, like the, the
1: details of the the details of the car are hilarious. If you listen to the hi- description of the car, it's like called the Emu, and it's an Australian manufactured vehicle. Yeah. Um, that doesn't have any wheels.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's like it's like the ugliest thing. Like the the mirror falls off. It's just a total total junk. Uh, and I think the idea of this cold open is that everybody has different kind of uh, tactics. Uh, a, sa- a salesman tactics that we see. So of course, why not start with Ed Crosswire, who I can see uh, why he's so successful if he's this if he's this good at it. There's another one of Binky holding like uh, a can of donations for uh, a local animal shelter. And he's a, and he's, and he's he, there's a big theme of threatening George in the last couple of episodes, uh, and especially here he's like, are you going to donate a dollar to the animal shelter, or am I going to have to start breaking pencils? <laughs>
1: There's also, uh, we get D.W. sales oh, uh, technique. Man. And I think this, this bit is something that I actually quoted a lot as a child. I remember <laughs> this. So DW's wearing, like, raggedy clothes. There's tears in her eyes. She's selling lemonade for uh, 25 cents. And she's like, please, will someone buy some Lemonade. Yeah, and this is this is
0: dangerous. She's doing it right outside her house. Like, if if my kid were doing this, I'd be like, okay, yeah, you need to stop, or else Child Protective Services is gonna get called on us real quick. Because she gets a bunch. Well, of... Well, it's also
1: it's also borderline fraud. So she's yeah. like, uh, <laughs> to buy some new clothes and maybe a piece of cheese to eat. And there's sort of a mob that forms around her, trying to uh, give her money.
0: Yeah, and it's just like, man, you gotta be careful with that or else like one of those one of those adults is gonna is gonna call the cops on your on your parents and then you're actually gonna be looking for some cheese to eat. Uh and the cold open actually ends with the exact opposite. We see Buster uh, feverishly trying to sell something to us. It's just like I'll i I'll throw at my shoes. Do you want my shoes? Please just buy
1: something. That's so a, a th- couple things. Uh, 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 for one, uh, if you look at the background after the mob dissipates uh, trying to buy uh, DW's uh, lemonade, you'll see um, Arthur's uh, grandpa's friend. I forget his name. Oh, uh, um, Ed. Yeah, Ed from Grandpa Dave's Old Country Farm. I guess he's moved into town or he's spending some time in town because he actually pops up in this episode a couple of times. Okay. Um uh, and so another detail: this whole spiel is for Buster. Arthur's talking about how bad Buster is as a salesman, and he's like, "I'll give it to you half price. Anything, please buy something from me." So, uh, in my second semester of school, we have to take a marketing, uh, uh, an integrated marketing communications course. Okay. It's, so I'm in PR. Um, so I'm I'm definitely uh, I I like PR and I I like uh, communications as a whole, but I think my least favorite aspect of it is marketing. I'm terrible. business. It just doesn't come naturally to me. Mm. So a lot of stuff in the integrated marketing communications course. Again, we've talked about how much I relate to Buster. This one was a big one because like uh, in the next scene where uh, Muffy's sort of talking about uh, the business case for why she's able to sell 20 chocolates, and Buster, like, barely understands, and he's like, okay, I'll get 20 boxes as well. <laughs> uh, I could definitely see myself making the same mistake. Also, before we move on, another detail, new intros, right? New yes. intros for the uh, title card.
0: Yes, tell, tell me about it.
1: Uh, I think it's just um, the tow truck pulling away the emu, the freshly bought emu, and I wonder, that is so specific to this episode, I wonder if that one's going to show up again.
0: Um, I, th- I feel like we see that character again. Well ha- we'll have to wait and see uh, but uh, I'll keep that fresh in my mind as I can. I hope so because this is a it's a really well illustrated loser so uh, I think we, <laughs> c- we could use one of those. Uh, I will also note here that in this episode you can hear that Arthur Arthur's voice, Justin Bradley's voice has already dropped. like I wonder I don't know if that's gonna change throughout the episodes, but he definitely sounds like he's like puberty's starting to hit him. I was actually going to ask you because, like you said, this episode is about the kids selling chocolate for the school band, which was something that uh, I never did personally, but was a big part of my elementary school experience. Did you ever uh, sell things for your school? Like I'm talking never for school,
1: but I uh, never for school, but definitely in the Boy Scouts. Okay, we we've talked briefly about my time in the Boy Scouts. Uh, and uh, uh, I definitely sold uh, many bags of popcorn for um, and it was very similar to this of just going door to door now around the neighborhood. Uh, it's interesting how much freedom they actually give kids in their sales technique of like, hey, do you want to buy this? Oh. Um. Uh, So we get a segment of um, Buster attempting the same techniques. Well, actually, before we get to that, Will, did you ever have to sell something for school?
0: So no, again, not me personally. I feel like my parents probably steered me away from that, which I completely understand. And like you, I'm not a very, like... I'm not very good at sales. Hey, uh, if you if you're uh, if you're a podcaster and if you follow us, you've probably noticed all the mistakes I make in promoting this podcast. So uh, <laughs> you know you know that's I wear that on my sleeve. I, it doesn't come to me naturally, like like you yourself said. Uh, when I was young, I remember that there were sales for. Uh, chocolate like chocolate bars and cookie dough Uh, you could sell uh, things uh, tubs of cookie dough at certain times of the year and then like Christmas wreaths and stuff like that but I never participated in that I remember some of my friends did, and I was like I wonder why I don't and looking back at it I'm just like I'm sure my parents just didn't want me to get involved with that which is totally fine Uh, uh, so yeah, you, you mentioned that the kids have a lot of freedom in how they get to sell the chocolates, and we get a little bit of that as we go to each kid, their specialized approach. I like seeing the different ways that the kids approach salesmanship.
1: Uh, and, and sort of this segment reminded me of, we we get a buster trying and failing yes. to sell door-to-door, and it reminded me of the infamous... Uh, spongebob episode where they're selling chocolates door-to-door and the guy like freaks out at them and he's like chocolate i don't know if you remember that chocolate uh,
0: did you say chocolate there's yes. a
1: really great quick aside there's a great youtube video uh, everyone should look up that is that scene but in all the different dubs from like different parts of the world oh yeah uh like the portuguese one where the guy's like chocolate Collector, <laughs> Like, uh, and, and it's good to see, like, that guy's anger, like, translated into all these different, uh, languages. But that's what that, um, Buster doesn't really get that bad of a response, but he certainly has some doors slammed in his face because he, uh, accidentally. Describes the mouth-watering delectable chocolates as mouse-watering detestable chocolates.
0: Yeah, that third-grade reading level really came to uh, to sting him. There's even that guy, and we get we see him again later in this episode. Where he's like, "It's like I'm allergic to chocolates. Just the word chocolate makes me break out into hives, or whatever." Just like, all right, pal, like. take it take it down a notch uh by the way i
1: believe that is the same guy who later on in the episode goes oh if they're homemade
0: yes it's a that's exactly i have that note exactly of just like why did the guy allergic to chocolate buy some like that's that that sounds like a lie uh yeah so some of some of the individualized approaches are like uh brain with a chart of like uh it's like oh uh, sh- uh sugar or, or whatever uh, chocolate for the it stimulates the brain and allows for faster reaction on test scores so he sells to a bunch of kids his own age um what else we oh prunella prunella does her fortune teller routine uh which seems to work pretty well and francine is also very successful in selling hers too uh, we get a, uh, we get a cut here as Buster's like, I'm pretty, like, it's only been 20 minutes, but I'm pretty sure I can sell them, and then we cut back to him at his house with his feet up on the chair, and, like, he's just kind of, stre- like, stretching them and, like, rubbing them, he's just like, two and a half hours I spent outside, he's like a real, a real Willie Loman type, he's, uh, he's, uh, not, or, or Gil from The Simpsons, perhaps, of just, like, he's, he was not, he was caught, con- He was comedically unsuccessful. Uh, He even even has this great line that says, What's happened to me, Mom? I used to be someone in this town. I was well-liked. Like, (laughs) he's having a real crisis here. His mom suggests that perhaps he needs a gimmick to really reel people in. And he gets inspired by the, what I'm going to say, I feel like we've seen him before, but this is the first named canonical appearance of Jack from Jack's Joke Shop. He sees the joke shops uh, commercial on TV and he gets the idea of uh, giving out free samples because that's what Jack's joke shop is doing. Uh, Jack, for the record, also a also a white bunny. Uh, His voice is kind of annoying. Like I was the the commercial kind of annoyed me a little bit.
1: It definitely reminds me of, like, the fake commercial in Goodfellas where the guy's, oh, like, yeah. the, wig, the wig salesman and, like, Robert De Niro's beating him up because he didn't pay him back for the money he loaned him for that commercial.
0: <laughs> oh, geez, let's hope, let's hope old Jack doesn't run into that. Uh, so so Buster's outside. He's doing the free sample thing, and then he realizes he's hungry, so he decides to have uh, – he kind of uh, takes a little bit of his own samples, uh, and he starts to eat some. And he eats almost nearly a free uh, whole box and then Binky comes by. He's a great. He again says, "I sold all of my chocolates to George." <laughs> again, th- that's that's how Binky does it—intimidation tactics. And Buster's like, uh, Binky says, "Oh, is it really a free sample?" And Buster's like, "Yeah, try one." So Binky's like, "Hey, thanks." And he takes a whole box, which is a real, ar- <laughs> it's a real Archie comics gag. I liked that. So the next day, Buster's like, "Oh yeah, I'm down to this many boxes." When he's talking to Arthur, and he's like. And he's like, wow, you sold that many boxes? And he's like, well, I didn't really sell them. I sort of ate them. And we also get, hey, Arthur meme alert here. Uh, there's a shot of Buster talking to Arthur. As he's saying that he ate them. And uh, we get him like kind of squinting at him and his ears down. I've definitely seen that in memes before.
1: Really? I—I I, I, That's what I didn't pick up on.
0: It'll be on the social this week. Don't worry. i uh, I made sure to screen cap it. Anyway, Arthur's kind of horrified. But, you know, Buster's like, I couldn't resist. They were so mouthwatering and delectable. <laughs> so, uh, Buster's eating like half of the boxes that he has right now. So, he was initially selling them for $3, which is a steal. Uh, but now he has to sell the remaining ones for six so that he can at least make his money back, which still is not a bad price for a box of chocolates if you're comparing it to like drugstore pricing.
1: Also, uh, so Arthur's sort of like, telling Buster the the seriousness of the situation and saying that he's going to have to pay that money back. Uh, And Buster sort of freaks out. We get to see what Buster's savings entail, which is a paperclip, a shoelace, and a chewy worm that were actually, I think it's half a shoelace and a chewy worm that were in his pocket.
0: They're always, all the Arthur kids are always carrying around loose candy. Like, after a (laughs) while, it's just going to get, it's going to get stuck to your pants.
1: Or, like, at least full of lint, I know, especially if it's, like, a gummy... Yeah, uh,
0: so Buster promises that he's not going to eat any more of the chocolate, and he actually ends up making a couple of, he make, makes, I think, like, maybe, uh, sells like four of them, maybe, and uh, he's still got a few left, but he, his prospects are looking good, but that night, he has a nightmare, where he hears that this is, this is actually really eerie, like, the chocolates are talking to him from the closet. And they're they all have these tiny little voices of like, please, Buster, we want to be eaten by you. We love
1: you, and it's just like, oh, this is not healthy. This is really so, weird. A couple notes on on this. I love the ominousness of uh, uh, Buster's closet. Uh, not since like season one, episode two, where the dinosaur fossil was coming out yeah. of like the dinosaur was coming out of Buster's closet. I love this device of like Buster's closet, like it's like a portal to another world or something. Like yeah. there's just something creepy, and it's the same posters of like boats and stuff. Like I love the attention to detail of like okay, we're gonna stick with this theme of like bad stuff happening with Buster's closet. And he, I think he's like the only Arthur character with a closet, so it's interesting that it keeps coming up. <laughs> uh, but another thing is this kind of reminded me. Um, the reveal the next day of where Buster's like, oh, what a horrible dream. And then he yes. realizes there's chocolate all over his face. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of... I, have you seen the movie Flight starring Denzel Washington?
0: No, but I know... That's the one where he's like an alcoholic pilot, right?
1: Right. And so there's a part of that scene, in that movie, where the his lawyers are tr- like... I don't remember exactly what's going on, but his lawyers are like, he's got to testify the next day to uh, explain his is- innocence. And they put him up in a hotel room and there's no uh, booze in the-, in the beer fridge. Um, But then he realizes there's a door to the hotel room next to his that's open and he like walks over and then there's a completely stocked beer fridge and he like takes one like mini bottle out of the beer fridge. Mm. The next morning he wakes up and he's like completely hammered and like like had drank all of the liquor in the beer fridge like the lawyers find him and he's like completely drunk. And that's what this reminded me of is that scene from Flight. I, I recommend you watch it because looking at this scene through that lens it's very funny.
0: Well, it's funny that you got, I, I i was holding my breath a little bit. I was like, "Did was he thinking of the same movie I was? So it wasn't the part where like Buster wakes up and he's got chocolate all over his face and he realizes he ate them all in the night. It's when he goes to Arthur's house and immediately breaks down crying. He's just like, I ate them. I ate them all. It reminds me from uh, Star Wars episode two when Anakin's talking about killing all the Tusken Raiders. Oh my God. He's like, I, he's just like, I, I ate them. I ate them all even the little children. I ate them like animals. (laughs) Buster doesn't say that, but it's like reminded me kind of the same energy going on here of like Buster's, uh, uh, tearful, sorrowful confession. Uh, so Buster is of course, beside himself wondering what's going to happen to the school band if he doesn't, you know, make his money back. And we get the shot of the kid's like what he thinks will happen is that all of the instruments by the kids are replaced with like these rinky dink kind of homemade versions. And all the kids are in these uniforms that are like, they look like they were dug out of the garbage. They're all like patchwork and weird colors. We even see Arthur playing what looks to be the Nintendo Labo piano.
1: Yeah. We get the Nintendo Labo piano. My favorite instrument in this like ramshackle, uh, uh, you know, fat Albert esque band is the kid with just the bag full of quarters. (laughs) or like a bag of pennies and he's just kind of moving it up and down
0: binky just blowing into the paper towel roll instead of his clarinet and i also just love how they're all playing these pathetic instruments and then the adults just start laughing at them just like why did you even (laughs) come here to laugh at your kids anyway it's pretty pretty funny yeah so they decide that they need to or, well, Arthur decides to help Buster, and so they're going to make their own chocolates by following the ingredients on the back of the chocolate box. Which, of course, Im- immediately, you know. It, and there was, there was a part where I just, like, really got squicked out, where it's just like, uh, I, f- I forget. I, did, did, was one of the chocolate ingredients He's, soy?
1: It, no, it's like soy lecithin or something. Right. And, it, uh, and, and 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 they were like, "Do you know what soy lecithin is?" And uh, one of them goes, "I don't know. Maybe it's something in soy sauce." And so they just pour soy sauce oh, in the mixture. Oh, gross! It's oh god!
0: It's so disgusting. <laughs> uh, and like I'm sh- and they call them Buster clusters. So I'm I'm amazed that they kept their shape no matter what. But oh boy! So Buster is selling them outside of Brain's mom's ice cream shop. And we actually get Mr. Haney buying a box uh, among some other people. And then he tries it immediately and is just Oh, my God. So disgusted. I'm so
1: happy they used Mr. Haney as, like, like, any episode that uses Mr. Haney as, like, the butt of a joke to be, like, humiliated. Like, I saw where this was going a mile away. And Mr. Yes. Haney comes up and he's like, ooh, chocolates. I think I'll have one right now. Like, I just, like... I can tell the writers think about Mr. Haney the exact same way we do, and I appreciate
0: that. Yeah, yeah, speaking of losers here, Mr. Haney, it's just like uh and this is like I think something that Buster reveals here is that he put tomatoes in there too. It's just like oh my god, it's horrifying. Like ugh, I I, I, I like words cannot express how disgusted I was at like every reveal of the ingredients that Buster made. And then like you said, Ed from grandpa Dave's old country farm comes up. He's like, my wife bought some of these and uh, I want my money back. So Buster ends up having to give all his money back. But then we see that he is noticed by Jack from Jack's joke shop who has an idea. So which is
1: next door to brains, bombs, ice cream shop. We see.
0: Yeah. It's quite the, quite the happening block. Uh, So Buster's in in Mr. Haney's office with his mom, and uh, Mr. Haney says that uh, somebody has decided to uh, pay off Buster's debt to the school as long as he does some work for him on the side. Uh, And that turns out to be Buster working in Jack's joke shop on a Saturday, which is kind of the end of the episode. And this actually ends up being Buster's element, which uh, we see him kind of sweeping the floor as Arthur comes in. And then a couple of customers come in and Buster goes into the whole marketing spiel for Jack's Joke Shop. So
1: is this is this child labor like he's he's not paying him. I, I, th- I think he's paying off a debt, right? Like, yeah, it's like yeah. uh, it's like uh, it's kind of not entirely similar to this, but it's like if you like um, get a meal from a restaurant and then you can't pay for it. You got to do the dishes to pay it off.
0: Uh, yes. I wonder if anybody really does that anymore. Like, or they just call the cops on you? Uh, yeah, and it just kind of just made me wonder. I guess Jack kind of does this. I guess the implication is just like from the goodness of his heart. But i just kind of not really sure what his deal is here. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, he got some, he got some cheap help uh, for around the store for, I'm guessing, one Saturday. I don't know. I don't know if he says that he has to continually do it. It's just kind of a little, a little odd when you think about it. With an adult, with an adult's brain. Also, speaking of weird, if you think about it, uh, we kind of see the end of the episode is Buster still going on this spiel. They're using Buster clusters as like the like the cho- the chocolates that look yummy but taste crummy, uh, which is actually a pretty good idea. And then yeah, it's
1: like Birdie. Remember Birdie Bots, every flavored beans. Yes, I do. Or Let's that on that Harry Potter kick,
0: or that uh, that jelly bean game that you can play. I forget. Uh, forget what it's called the one the ones where it's like oh this one tastes like poop (laughs) (laughs) i hate i hate that game i played it once and i'm like hey this isn't fun so buster is going into a spiel about something called no gain which we we only we're looking at jack as he like looks at him proudly from uh behind a newspaper and but buster's thing about no gain is just like just a few drops for permanent baldness that seems like dangerous
1: no, that that seems like it would definitely cause permanent damage. Uh, I mean, it's in the name, but I, I feel like that is searing your flesh or something.
0: Yeah, that that's the, that seems like it's gonna get recalled. Like it's just like oh, that's that's that that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound fun. Like it's one of those pranks that I know that I'm not. I, look, I'm not much of a prankster. I don't really get the idea of pranking and all that kind of stuff. But it's just like that's one of the ones where it's like oh, if you gave somebody buster clusters and they've been to it, it's like oh, this is gross. Like haha, gotcha kind of thing. But this one is just like, ha I've done irreparable damage to you. April fools. Like that's, just, <laughs> that's just kind of mean. Okay. So, uh, Arthur plays the blues. Lucas, what'd you make of this as an episode?
1: Arthur plays the blues is interesting. Like I wouldn't necessarily, it's incredibly stand out, but I think it's a really good, pe- like, uh, obviously Dr. Fugue is the, uh, the star of the show and the episode wouldn't be as effective without him. um, but I, I think it's fun, and it's an interesting moral. Like, we talked about this before. Arthur will sometimes have these uh, off-kilter morals that are very relatable to a kid's, but, like, dealing with your piano teacher retiring and not understanding that as a kid and having to, like, move on from that because adults retire and stuff like that is an important lesson to tackle that, like, not a lot of other kids shows would. Um, but uh, with the exception of, like the Dr. Fugue stuff and some of the, like, parodies that were on the TV. Um, some of this episodes like, a little bit boring, like maybe when Arthur is talking to uh, Mrs. Cardigan. Um, but I, 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 I don't want to harp on it too much. I, I think it's a—I feel positively about it. I think it's a good episode. I think it's totally fine,
0: and it's actually saved from being, like, a, a less regarded episode because of Dr. Fugue. I think that he is such an incredible— i'm so impressed with this character and i really really hope that he comes back like every time he was on screen was just a treat with the way that they kind of woven his backstory the performance of the voice actor the way that he looks i think he brought this all together um and i thought it was quite relatable at least from a very basic sense of just like arthur blowing stuff off but i like i said i also feel like i was missing a bit of uh kind of not context, but I was missing a bit of relatability here as someone who isn't musically talented. I could see somebody liking this a lot more than I did because of how much they, uh, like understand the idea of practicing music and all that kind of thing. As it is, I think it's a, I think it's a perfectly fine episode. Uh, and Dr. Fugue is awesome. Uh, Buster's sweet success. Again, I don't really have very intensive feelings on this one way or the other. I think it's pretty good. Um, I do, I do like the theme of kind of, now we talk about Mr. Haney kind of being the go-to, uh, loser character, uh, and I, and I like Buster a lot, but I also kind of like seeing Buster kind of go through hard times, uh, I, I I love the way he reacts to being in situ in, in bad situations, I think that he's really funny. Uh, when he's like put upon and this, this episode, he's really having to do an uphill battle. And in the end, he's, he's okay. Like he turns out okay. So I, I, I kind of liked the arc of that. I think this is a very fun, uh, episode with a focus on Buster and we get, uh, Jack's joke shop here kind of more established. Uh, yeah, no, I think this, that these together are, uh, both fine, but they also just make for a very good watch. I also really liked, uh, the animation uh, looked very clean in especially uh, Buster's sweet success. So yeah, I'd say again, not strong feelings on it, but I I had a good time.
1: I uh, I agree what you said about how you like seeing Buster go through it, uh, but I also think. Maybe just because I relate to it more, uh, I, I really did like this episode a lot. Like, I, I I think it's a really funny episode, you know, from the introduction of everybody's um, sales ta- – like, the introduction of all the good salespeople and then uh, Buster being a really bad salesperson. Um, that stuff is hilarious. Um, the door-to-door selling of the chocolate is really, really funny to me. Um, Buster trying to pay off his debt with a paperclip a shoelace and a chewy worm – um, and you're right. Buster has, just has a manic end energy in this episode where he's like, "I gotta pay these debts." Like, he like the whole thing just seems like it's spiraling out of control as the episode goes on. Mister Haney uh, eating the bad chocolate. Uh, I think it's a really funny episode, and I I relate to it a lot, so I really really enjoyed it. I thought I I, I think this is a great episode.
0: Cool. I mean, it's it's definitely It's definitely like you could pick this one randomly and everybody would have a good time. So whether 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 you're kind of uh, a little milder on it like me or you really like it like Lucas, I think you're not going to walk away unsatisfied. As season six continues to roll on here, Elwood City Limits, thank you everybody for uh, sticking with us into the new year. Thank you to our new listeners who have found us and uh, to everybody who continues to support us. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, Patreon patrons, don't forget to talk to us on our Discord. Love to hear more from you guys over there. And of course, you know about all about our Patreon, where to find us on email, all our social media, all that good stuff. Coming up on the next full episode of Elwood City Limits, this is one. That people have been waiting for for a long time. I specifically got messages saying, "Like, man, can't wait till you get to this one," and I have been wondering when it's going to be finally time too. So it's going to be Prunella's special edition, which, if I remember correctly, uh, actually themed itself pretty well around a certain book series that I'm reading. Maybe we'll have to see. And the secret life, uh, the secret life of dogs and babies. That that specifically that second one is the one that people have been waiting for, and yeah, uh,
1: no, me, it, count me in, me included.
0: This is going to be like there's going to be a, a, a there's a lot to talk about already, and I haven't even watched the episode yet, so I I can't wait for this one. Uh, Lucas, good to hear from you. Hope all goes well with your uh, with your schooling in the in the new year.
1: No, thank you, Will. And it's nice to record again with you. Lots to look forward to in 2019, especially with Elwood City Limits.
0: A hundred percent. My name is Will Young. And for Lucas Mancini.
1: Excuse me, son. That's not a toy.
0: Can can you give me the, uh, uh, now this is something for someone of Antoine's caliber. Can you give me that one too?
1: Now this is something for Antoine's caliber.
0: (laughs) Great stuff. All right, everybody. Have a good week.